Hello everyone, I'm Gareth Mitchell. Welcome along to the sixth in our podcast series, Exploring Analytical Science. And uh, today we're going to be finding out about oligonucleotide-based drug delivery in immune and genetic diseases. So we'll meet our guest in just a moment. This podcast series comes from Agilent, a global life sciences company providing solutions for the analytical lab. And it also comes from Imperial College London, a world-leading institution for scientific research and education, and also home to the Agilent Measurement Suite. All right, then let's meet our guest for this podcast. It's uh, Dr. James Rushworth, who's Research Associate at Sixfold Bioscience. And uh, maybe just a, a quick word or two about you, James, if you will, then. What, what is Sixfold Bioscience and what do we need to know about you? Yes, uh, good morning. And uh, thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. So my name is James uh, and I'm a Research Associate here at Sixfold Bioscience. So I am, my background is in synthetic organic chemistry, uh, but here at Sixfold, I do a range of things. So pretty much all chemistry based. So I do small molecule synthesis, which these small molecules then go onto RNA strands for kind of novel modifications that we do for, for, for the RNA. Uh, and I also do some of the actual RNA work itself. So I do some of the RNA conjugations and assembly. So basically make our kind of drug delivery systems on, on the nanoscale as well. So my background is in drug delivery, but in a different source of drug deliveries. I did my PhD um, at Imperial College, finished in 2019, and that was actually on polymeric drug delivery, but to tumor-associated macrophages. And I also worked on the development of a new uh, anti-cancer compound as well. So sort of similar area. Uh, so it kind of translated quite nicely into what I'm doing now, a little bit different as well at the same time. Which brings us up to the present day then, James. And uh, what is the broad area of your research now? Yeah, so here at Sixfold, we're kind of focused on developing a novel delivery system for cell and gene therapeutics. But really, we're focused on oligonucleotide-based therapeutics, which is, is more on the gene side at the moment. And there's been huge progress uh, in the development of these therapies uh, recently. So a prime example is sRNA, so short interfering RNA. So these are short strands of RNA that can effectively silence genes. They, they built translation of mRNA into proteins and basically just turn the genes off. And these work very well, particularly in, in vitro setting, but there are problems with delivery of these materials in, in in vivo testing. So these are very prone to degradation um, and not necessarily that selective. Uh, and this is essentially a, ch a challenge that we're trying to address. Right. So so they're kind of unstable, I guess, especially in that in vivo setting. It sounds incredibly challenging to me. So what kinds of approaches are you working on to try and get around that? So we're trying to develop a delivery system that is actually made out of oligonucleotides um, itself. So it's essentially the same material as the sRNA. But what we're trying to do is assemble these this, this material into a range of different morphologies. And, and when you arrange it into these, these different morphologies, you, you increase its stability. And so you can do that on kind of a, a nanoscale level. But we also use modified RNA sequences. So not natural RNA like you find um, in the body, but we, we, we do different chemical tricks to basically add stability to these structures. Uh, and when they're in this shape, essentially a lot more stable. And a lot of drug delivery systems 
in the market these uh, at the moment are either kind of lipids or viral vectors. And these have pros and cons. So lipids, quite easy to formulate and they're cheap, um, although they do have associated, associated toxicity. Um, and it's just sometimes difficult to formulate these properly. So it's hard to get a, a good monodispersed product. Um, and then on the other side, you've got the viral vectors, which again, they work very well, but they're very expensive and quite difficult to scale up. Um, and there are other safety concerns with these. So what we're trying to do is make a, a nanostructure, which is comparatively cheap. So made out of these oligonucleotides. So they're cheap, homogeneous, they're easy to assemble. And you can get very, very fine precision where you want to change the structure. So you can make very precise changes uh, at the nanoscale level, which is quite unusual for these sort of delivery systems. I mean, it sounds as if you get, get the, almost the best of all worlds in a way. I mean, and the other techniques you've described are quite tried and tested, but they don't always scale very well. But you exactly. seem to be saying, no, this is stable, it's reliable, we can go ahead, it's tangible, we can get our hands on this stuff. And, exactly. and it is... It is stable. Um, I can't help asking that. There must be a catch, though. <laughs> so where might some of the difficulties still be? Yes. So there are difficulties in, in terms of actually designing these constructs to, to then assemble into you know, what you want. Sometimes we have issues with you know, aggregation or forming you know, kind of the, the, the wrong product. And characterizing these, these delivery systems can be quite challenging. So even characterizing oligonucleotides themselves uh, are strand level can sometimes be difficult, especially if they're quite long. So for most therapeutics in the market, so the sRNAs that I mentioned earlier, these are up to 20, 21 nucleotides. But some of the strands that we're making can be 45, 50 plus. And analysis of these strands can be quite challenging. So does separation become an issue here then, you know, because it, it sounds as if it's quite a, it's, it does sound like a challenge the way you've described it. I suppose what I'm, I'm looking at is how the Agilent measurement suite is helping here. Yeah, so the separation of oligos can be challenging just due to the nature of the molecule. So if you think about the structure of an oligo, it's, it's quite a mishmash of different things. So you have a sugar component which is hydrophilic. You've got the, uh, the base, which determines whether it's the classic kind of ACGLT for DNA or you if you're talking about RNA, uh, which is classically hydrophobic. And then you've got a negatively charged phosphodiester backbone, which again is hydrophilic. So even from a chromatography perspective, before you, you get into the analytical stage, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare because you that have so many like different right problems. Pickle, yeah. <laughs> So you know, with, with standard liquid chromatography, you, you have a column that's packed with a material that will interact with your molecule of, molecule of interest in a certain way. So you know, for example, one way of purifying these oligos is to pass it through a column of very hydrophobic material. And the hydrophobic parts of the oligo will struggle to get through this material. And they're essentially retained on the column. Um, but if you have hydrophilic components, it, it basically gets dragged through and it just becomes a bit of a mess, and especially in terms of reproducibility. So the phosphodiester backbone really contributes towards these, these problems and these challenges at the strand level. Uh, and, and this is why we, we have to mask that somewhat in some way. So how we do that is 
with the use of what's called an iron pair reagent. And these are quite common in mass spectrometry in general. So you essentially have your molecule of interest and you basically associate it with another molecule, which essentially masks those properties that you don't want showing. So for oligonucleotides, the, the common thing that we use as an iron pair um, is the alkyl amines. And these have a kind of hydrophobic component and a hydrophilic head, which is positively charged. And that interacts with the negatively charged phosphodiester backbone that I, I mentioned earlier. So, and that essentially, this, so the hydrophobic tail of this essentially masks that phosphodiester backbone and it gives you much better chromatography and uh, separation. So the problem we're having at the moment and we're trying to address is that a lot of mass spectrometrists do not particularly enjoy having these alkylamines on their system because they are a bit of a nightmare to clean and they basically just contaminate the rest of your your samples yeah, that you're trying so to run. It doesn't make so, you very popular then <laughs> with the mass not spectrometrists. Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea is, the, the thing that we're working on at strand level at the moment is we're basically trying to come up with a way of using you know, a more volatile ion pair and we're trying to develop a method to, to allow us to see these, these long oligos without having to use these alkylamines. And, and so far, we've been able to detect short sRNAs with this approach. And you know, we're currently just trying to optimize that for, for the long strands. So we're looking at a range of different more volatile ion pairs that will essentially act as this kind of alkylamine type molecule that will just mask this phosphodiester group. Do you, I mean, I guess you must think that you're going to get there, but you know, with these these longer chains, as it were, then um, you know, it's uh, do you, in other words, do you see the um, the challenges as being practical in a way? There's no theoretical reason why you can't get there to those longer ones. Yeah, I think we will get there. I think it's just a case of of tweaking, you know, the concentrations that we're using and and just trying to find the most suitable one for our particular strands. Yeah, beyond the strand level, we're we're also looking at the actual full assembly itself, and that poses a you know, whole new range of challenges. But like, I guess, yeah, I, I can talk about that in a little while. Yeah, well, sure, because I, I was going to ask you really what how promising you see this whole field then the whole idea of DNA RNA based therapies. You know how much promise they have in general. Yeah, I think these. The DNA RNA based therapies are, are really starting to take off, and yeah, you know, we're, we're already seeing mRNA based therapies uh, in the clinic. So a prime example uh, are the COVID vaccines, which have been developed by you know, a range of different companies, and they're all kind of come up with their own interpretation of these these vaccines. So that's just kind of one example. But you've also got the sRNA therapies that I, I mentioned, um, and these are extremely promising. They're they're very potent towards their targets, but we just need to figure out the, the delivery. And in addition to the, the therapeutic side of things, these DNA and RNA molecules can, can be used in diagnostics and in medical imaging as well. So there's so many things that you can do with this class of molecules. But we just need to sort out these issues. So we need to sort out targeting. If you, you've got a delivery system, you need a, a targeting molecule that goes to the cell of interest. And particularly for oligotype structures, it's quite difficult because in, in, in vivo setting, your molecule might behave slightly differently or it might get covered with 
a layer of proteins or peptides, which effectively just blocks your targeting. So that needs to be sorted. And then there's the other problem of actually getting into cells. So we're very good at getting these structures in the body, but we can't necessarily get them into the cells very easily. So oligonucleotides in particular tend to get trapped in what is called the endosomal compartment. And this is very acidic and essentially just breaks down the oligo. So escaping this, this cellular component compartment after uptake is very difficult. And that's, that's a huge challenge that, that needs to be addressed across you know, the entire field. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask, you, how, how can you, I mean, what kind of approaches, maybe through mass spectrometry, I'm thinking maybe some of the tools and techniques in, in the suite could help you to address some of those challenges? Yeah. So uh, for endosomal escape and cellular uptake, what we do is attach peptides to, to oligonucleotide. And these, these peptides we're, we're looking at are basically, they, they undergo a mechanism that basically allows them to escape this endosomal compartment. But you're, you're basically combining oligonucleotides and peptide analysis, which again, adds additional complexity. Again, we have to figure out what kind of you know, equipment we're going to be using for that and come up with, with, with useful methods that will allow us to, to elucidate what exactly is, is on our um, drug delivery systems. At the Agent Suite, we're, we're basically using the, the bioadvanced uh, QTOF. And this gives us a, a, an understanding of the identity of the strands, but it also allows us to analyze the impurities uh, and the degradants. So any other modifications that we basically make on these strands. Uh, and these cannot be elucidated in any other way. So it's crucial that we develop thorough and robust methods to allow us to find out exactly what we've done to modify these RNA strands. And this instrument is, you know, is very sensitive and you know, allows us to, to get a, a very good characterization profile of the strands. So yeah, so this instrument has is, is, is basically been optimized for the analysis of biopharmaceuticals. Uh, and in a nutshell, the, the molecule that you're analyzing becomes charged or ionized, and it's, it's sent down a space between these, these four metal rods that have a voltage applied to them. And only certain, certain you know, only molecules of a certain charge will make it to the detector in a given time at a given voltage. And from this, you can really work out you know, the master what's called the master charge ratio. Uh, and this is compared to a known calibrant. And that's then processed to give you the mass of interest. And this allows you to give, this, you know, it allows you to get a very, very accurate mass, which for this sort of length product is, is crucial because you can have so many different things just by the nature of how we make these strands. So you can have what's called M minus one, M minus two, M minus three products, which are basically truncated forms of the strands that we're looking for. And sometimes chromatography doesn't pick up these particular, you know, N minus one, minus two um, strands, for example. Yeah, and I, was, I was wondering how, how you calibrate it, by the way. You mentioned having, you know, like there are some effective calibrants out there. Is, is that a big challenge, just getting it all calibrated? Yeah, um, so the calibrant that we use is actually just a standard um, calibration solution that's on the, the Agile equipment. So I think whatever's in, in that bottle is, is already optimized for yeah, what we're trying to measure. So as long as you, so the machine is looking for a certain set of numbers, and then as long as you get those numbers with this calibrant solution, 
you know that everything is good. So whatever you inject is compared to that initial set of values. And if if they come back as being accurate, as, as what the machine expects, then you know that your mass is pretty much accurate. And there's so much to play for here, isn't there? And I mean, we'll come on uh, to um, treating immune and genetic diseases. But I'm just thinking even like oligos, they seem so versatile. You know, if we can just Mm. crack this. Would I be right in relating that to gene silencing, maybe Um, CRISPR gene editing? Do they have applications there? Absolutely. Yeah. So the sRNAs that I, I mentioned, um, they, they're, they're the, the compounds that really initiate this gene silencing. But the beauty of this delivery system in general is, is, is that you can attach pretty much whatever you want to it. So whether that's a cytotoxic small molecule, an sRNA for, for gene silencing, or even yeah, these, these, these components that, that undergo this, this CRISPR-Cas9 process, the pretty much whatever you want to attach can be attached. Um, and it really comes down to the modifications of the strands that, that we make. And we're looking at basically trying to, to make these, these constructs modifiable at construct level. So rather than modifying the strands, we're, we're trying to make a very stable system, which is completely bare, but to which you can attach pretty much anything you want, as long as what you're attaching has the correct reactive partner basically attached to it. So, you know, we use a lot of kind of novel and literature known click chemistries, which are kind of orthogonal to each other. So they're all different. So they, they won't kind of cross react. So you, you can very precisely know what positions you've modified your construct. Hmm. And in terms of research then, and, and there's there's a real focus here on research then, how, how is it moving this, this all these approaches with the oligos and the tools that you have at the suite, moving your research forward? The, the suite has been very useful on multiple levels, really. I guess starting even from the basic small molecule level, we, we use the walk-up LCMS over at the Agile Suite to help us confirm the identity of the novel modifications that we've made at moly- by small molecule level. And then a step up from that, we've got the oligonucleotides, which we use the advanced bio-LC QTOF, which again, as I mentioned before, the main challenge is in optimizing the buffers we use for, for the analysis for that. But then we've, we've even got full construct analysis, which is something that we're, we're really trying to, to crack at the moment. So we're basically trying to elucidate the analytical profile of the full construct. Yeah, and the, these can be anywhere between 80 to 140 kilodalton. So they're pretty big. Uh, and this you know, needs to be done natively. And we're essentially working with collaborators uh, over at the National Measurement Laboratory in Teddington to do this. And so far, we can reproducibly analyze the, the component strands of the construct and quantify those strands versus you know, a known kind of calibrant or concentration curve that had been previously made on single strand level. Yeah, this this sort of method has been done on several RNA-based structures, including sRNA antibody conjugates, but has has not really been shown for purely RNA-based nanostructures. So it's pretty challenging to, to get that full analytical profile of the delivery system. 
purely due to the nature of the bonding between the strands. So yeah, I'm sure you're aware the the bonding that holds uh, RNA DNA together is, is just hydrogen bonding, and it's you know in in relative terms is is not that strong interaction, uh, especially when you're putting it down such a kind of harsh kind of source on 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 a mass spec, for example. So we're really trying to optimize the method in terms of making sure it's as gentle as possible so that the construct survives intact and, and, and that we can see it um, as a whole construct. Yeah, it's such a balancing act, isn't it? Um, so then what about the potential to treat a range of immune and genetic diseases? What does this look like for you now then, James? Yeah, I guess that, that comes back to all the kind of modifications that we've added to the construct. Because we're trying to make this as as you know as, as flexible as possible and as kind of broad as possible, we can essentially attach whatever we want. And and we at the moment we're really looking at therapies for for particular types of, of cancer. But I think in the future we're we'll be looking at I think we've got plans for neurological diseases as well. But yeah, at the moment we've we've had a few nice results with this particular srna that we've attached so yeah the srna based therapies because they're they've shown so much promise by other companies and other research groups at the moment they're they're the kind of modality that we're we're sticking with as a therapeutic option and because there's such a a real gap in in the market for effective delivery of these, these these molecules um so i think at the moment we're really looking at that kind of anti-cancer approach um, rather than purely kind of you know immunological approach. So what uh, features would you most like to see being added to the AMS in the future? What's what's on your wish list? <laughs> well yes quite I guess quite extensive uh, in, <laughs> not just at the Azure Suite but in, in general uh, but <laughs> yes at the Azure Suite I think there are a few things that would be would be very useful for us and I guess one would be um, an inclusion of moldy TOF, so matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization. So it's a type of uh, mass spectrometry which would be very useful for the analysis of especially short oligos. So Imperial College has a, uh, a service at the moment for, for moldy. I think this is something that would be very nice for us to, to actually play with to see if we can optimize methods. Again, not just for the analysis of short uh, RNAs, but for, for longer oligos, like, like we're doing with the, the BioQTOF. I think uh, another thing for us would be uh, capillary electrophoresis. So I know that Agilent has um, some, some nice equipment for, for this. So this is a, a technique which basically allows you to separate molecules based on their charge. And, and because of the nature of, of oligos, because that phosphodiester backbone, the, the longer your oligo is, the, the more negatively charged it is. So it really lets you, so a technique like this will really let you separate quite long oligos very nicely and will give you a nice kind of analytical, potentially purification profile as well. And I guess, what else? Um, another thing I think would be useful would be the provision of, I guess, communal columns and purification equipment that I guess are main, maintained by Agilent. That would be extremely useful. Um, I think would it definitely attract more users who might only want to use the system for a relatively short period of time. Because at the moment you have to 
apply you know bring your own columns and all your own equipment and i guess that might put off some casual users uh, it's not too much of a problem for us but i think if you know if you're looking to get more of an uptake of, of users in these in the suite i think that would be quite an attractive thing right so thank you for your wish list and indeed for talking us through in such detail there your work with the oligonucleotide analysis it's so exciting it's been a pleasure to talk to you james that's uh, dr james yeah. rushworth a research associate at sixfold bioscience uh, well that's it for this edition but uh, we'll be back for the uh, final in this podcast series next time where we're going to bring together a panel of experts to discuss the advances we've seen so far in instrumentation and where next in this exciting world of analytical science. So do join me for that. But for now, from me, Gareth Mitchell, and all of us on the team, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>